On this episode of the program, we dive deep into Bob Menendez's troubles, as well as a preview of tonight's second presidential debate on the Republican side. Folks, this ain't a debate. It's a slaughterhouse. That's all coming up. This is made possible by Oh Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for September 27th, 2023. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you back in Austin, Texas, back from a weekend in Vegas with my brother. Great times were had, made our way to the uh, new Allegiant Stadium, the uh, Las Vegas Raiders Stadium, which I have to say, Best in-stadium experience I have had ever. It is an amazing stadium. And I will say this, I've been to a Golden Knights game and a Vegas Raiders game. There is really just a next level experience to having pro sports be put on in a town that makes its bones in live performance. You know, you don't think of that with Vegas. You don't really put two and two together unless you live there, that the craft that is there are not like stage actors or movie actors. These are live performers. These are people that are used to going two times a night, uh, seven days a week. Like they are, they're prepared to do that. The musicians, the dancers, the singers. And so what Vegas has I don't know why I'm doing an unsolicited promo for Allegiant Stadium, but they have a live band that is just ready to go and they play live throughout the entire experience uh, throughout the game. They brought on Lil Wayne for halftime and instead of setting up a makeshift stage with some soupy kind of vocals, they had him up on the stage that they had already been playing music the entire day. That band backed him up and he, Played a great little three song set, bada bing, bada boom, but no like cheesy kiss cam, no like uh, all the things that you think of as an in game experience they didn't have. What I liked the best was that the crowd was seventy thirty Steelers fans, and then the Steelers won because Jimmy Garoppolo is uh, bad, and the Steelers, despite their play in the first two weeks, are good. But we're not going to talk about that. We are going to talk about somebody else who uh, got caught with his hand in the cookie jar, at least according to the federal government. And that is Bob Menendez of New Jersey, Senator from New Jersey. So we're going to get into what the indictment says. We are going to get into what he has said. And then we're going to give you an, as the, the, the clock ticks uh, update as to who, has called on him to resign. I will speculate for you why I believe the Democratic response to this 
is as virulent as it is. But let's start here with what Menendez is being accused of. He allegedly leveraged his position to aid the government of Egypt and business ventures of associates Wael Hanna, Jose Uribe, and Fred Daibis in exchange for bribes. So this is classic pay for play. What do you guys want done? I will get it done, but it's going to cost you. He is accused of providing sensitive U.S. government information, interfering in criminal investigations and prosecutions, and recommending a specific U.S. attorney nomination to protect his associates. His alleged actions were purportedly concealed through a complex network of personal and financial relationships, including his wife, Nadine, to facilitate corrupt agreements affecting foreign military sales and financing to Egypt, among other issues. Bribery assets included cash, gold, and a luxury vehicle, home furnishings, and a business monopoly granted to Hannah's company by Egypt, aiding the concealment and furtherance of this corrupt scheme. And by the way, the gold came in the form of a gold bar, which was found in Menendez's home. Menendez also sought to disrupt New Jersey state criminal matters in exchange for a luxury car and attempted to influence a federal criminal prosecution of Fred Daibis in exchange for cash furniture and gold bars. So the timeline on this stretches from early 2018 until late 2020, sorry, mid 2022. Um, Basically, the, 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 the case here is as it's laid out. Menendez is the head of the Foreign Relations Committee. That means he swings a very, very, very big stick when it comes to American foreign policy. He is going to be directly involved in a lot of this stuff, and his opinion matters. We're going to get into why that matters in a second, but let's get into Menendez's reaction to this. He called a press conference. He called for patience. And for the judicial process to run its course, he said he would be fully exonerated in response to the fact that he had gone easy on Egypt. He went through every time that he has been critical toward that nation. And there were many, although that's not necessarily the point of this indictment. And he explained why he had so much money lying around the house. We're going to put him in his own words right here. Here's Menendez. For 30 years, I have withdrawn thousands of dollars in cash from my personal savings account, which I have kept for emergencies and because of the history of my family facing confiscation in Cuba. Now, this may seem old-fashioned, but these were monies drawn from my personal savings account based on the income that I have lawfully derived over those 30 years. I look forward to addressing other issues at trial. For those not aware, during the communist takeover of Cuba, money and property were seized from various families that were not seen to be loyal to the incoming regime. It is a hallmark of a lot of the horror stories that I heard growing up as a kid growing up in South Florida. There's a reason why there is a huge anti-Castro and anti-communist bent that goes through the Cuban immigrants of 
South Florida. And this is part of the visceral reason, the confiscating of property and money and then the jailing of opposition for negligible, if non-existent crimes. But apparently it is this generational trauma that has led to so many envelopes full of cash being found in Menendez's home. And it's a lesson so moving. He apparently had some of his Egyptian friends touch these envelopes to share what he has learned. We don't know if there's also a connection to the gold bars. By the way, if this sounds like deja vu for Menendez, it is. Uh, While I was researching this topic to speak with you today, I came across a headline just searching for Menendez reaction to indictment. And I got this headline, DOJ Menendez response to bribery charges are naked rhetoric. It's a political article. So I scrolled down and I saw it was written by John Bresnahan. Like John Bresnahan, is he working for Politico again? Because I knew he left to start Punchbowl. No. This was a headline from 2015 because it was then that Senator Robert Menendez was indicted on federal corruption charges. The charges stem from his relationship with a Florida doctor, Dr. Solomon Melgan. Menendez was accused of accepting lavish gifts, trips and campaign donations in exchange for using his Senate office to benefit his friends, personal and financial interests. The allegation also Uh, include intervening in a Medicare billing dispute and assisting with visa applications for the doctor's foreign girlfriends. The charges against Menendez were dropped in 2018 after a mistrial was decided and declared a hung jury. So it seems as if the prosecutors in part decided to drop the charges here because they were actively investigating, as we now know, Menendez for these charges. So, on one hand, you look at this and and you say, well, Menendez is dirty. (laughs) He is, as the kids would say, giving dirty. He smells as if he is unclean. But I do think that there is a more troubling narrative when it comes to the Democratic Party. And that is this. Republicans are going to do their best to tie this to the Biden administration in two ways. First, Menendez has done all this while chairing the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Or at least he was involved in doing this. Well, no, he was before. Still, throughout 2018, leading up to 2022, he's been on the... Senate Foreign Relations Committee. He chaired it right up until this week when he's temporarily stepped down. Now, this is a committee that Joe Biden made a a calling card during his time in the Senate. In fact, it was his foreign policy experience that earned him his spot next to the relative newbie Obama in the 2008 race. What I would expect are for Republicans to create a clear narrative of democratic corruption on foreign policy. Something that is also at the heart of the Hunter Biden case and 
the clearest way to connect it to Joe. Let's also remember the Democrats are currently in a bit of a law and order arc as they pregame for a Trump rematch. Believe the indictment. Hashtag believe the indictment has been Team Blue's song in the summer. This has at least as I am recording this and please check your uh, uh, local affiliates to get the current count has led to a waterfall of senators from the Democratic side to call for Menendez resignation, including but not limited to Tammy Baldwin of Wisconsin, Jackie Rosen of Nevada, John Tester of Montana, Peter Welch of Vermont, Sherrod Brown of Ohio, John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, and Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. Rosen, Tester, and Brown are all unique and they are in that they are in very tough fights for their seats in 24. And as I am making this episode, fellow New Jersey Senator Cory Booker joined the chorus. Quote, Stepping down is not admission of guilt, but an acknowledgement that holding public office often demands tremendous sacrifices at great personal cost, a.k.a. step down, you're guilty. Nobody would call for Menendez to step down unless they believed one of two things, if not both. Number one, you're guilty. You dodged one bullet and we stood by you. You got hit with another one. Come on. The, the, the people that they are saying who bribed you, their fingerprints were on the envelopes of money. You busted. And number two, this is damaging to us. If Menendez holds on and complains about this investigation and says he is being railroaded, then he is drawing moral equivalency between the Democratic Party and Donald Trump. And they desperately do not want that to be the case. Question now, and I hope it doesn't happen before I release this episode or else I'll have to change it, is does Joe Biden weigh in? Because right now the dominoes are falling from Menendez very fast. This is your update brought to you by TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It's where you can support this show. That's where you can get bonus episodes. And especially these days and this week, it's going to be very important because our first reaction to the debate will be on our Thursday episode, our late edition. So that will come out Wednesday night. Tonight, actually, you know, this episode comes out on Wednesday. So if you want the immediate reaction, go ahead on over there. And then uh, we will be doing our fuller breakdown on Friday's episode along with uh, my book report. I did a book report. We have a new finished book to report. Anyway, we'll get into teasing that a little bit later. But again, this is the time. This is the season. If you want Bonus episodes, two of them, each and every week. Get on over there. Joe Biden and Donald Trump are speaking to striking auto workers this week in rare back-to-back events in Michigan. 
This, of course, highlighting exactly how important that state will be to the 2024 race. Joe Biden joined striking UAW members in a picket line in Wayne County, Michigan, Tuesday, with labor historians saying that this is the most support shown for striking workers by a sitting president in at least 100 years. In fact, historians have yet to find another instance of a president visiting a picket line. Meanwhile, of course, Donald Trump will be addressing hundreds of workers at a gathering at an auto supplier in Detroit, in a Detroit suburb on Wednesday. That supplier, Drake Enterprises, is a non-union manufacturer, according to a spokesman of the AFL-CIO. Trump has said that the AFL-CIO has led their workers astray and are fighting for and supporting political causes that are eliminating jobs for them, specifically the big bullseye has been drawn on EVs, electronic vehicles. Hunter Biden on Tuesday sued Rudy Giuliani and his longtime lawyer, Robert Costello, alleging that they violated federal and California-based computer fraud laws in their efforts to disseminate potentially damaging material. Biden the son of the president, says Giuliani and Costello broke the law when they accessed data that they claim came from a laptop sent to them by a computer repairman in Delaware in 2020. Biden does not concede that the claim is true, but alleges that he is the owner of some of the electronic data obtained by the repairman, and he alleges that that Giuliani and Costello's repeated copying and accessing of that data amounts to illegal hacking, and that persists to this day. Quote, in light of the foregoing illegal activities by the defendants, their refusals to cease and desist in their unlawful behavior and their apparent intention to continue violating the law in the future, plaintiff has no alternative but to commence this lawsuit. End quote. Hunter Biden's attorneys wrote. This was filed in Los Angeles. We'd long kind of heard in reporting that Hunter Biden was frustrated that his attorneys were not being more aggressive Uh, They floated in an article probably two years ago that they wanted to even rebut the narrative that that information came from the Delaware computer shop, that it had been hacked by somebody else. And it appears that since this plea deal has fallen apart and now Biden has pled not guilty, they are going to get more aggressive. Problem with that politically for Father Joe is that the louder this is, the worse it is. The more that Joe has to come to the aid of his son, which will happen, the the less it is great for him. Um, so, you know, I, I guess Hunter's getting what he wanted, at least based on the previous reporting, that this is getting a little bit more aggressive in his defense. But I don't know if that's, you know... If this becomes more of a mess and now to support Joe Biden, you have to support Hunter. That's more where the Republicans want it than they want than the the Democrats want it. The Democrats want a total separation. They want you to think about the good parts about Joe Biden's presidency and not Hunter at all. Hunter's just a guy on an island doing something. The closer they are together, the better it off, the better off it is. Republicans who want to make this a referendum on 
the Bidens in general. And finally, Speaker Kevin McCarthy will not comment on talks between Senate leaders on a short-term government funding stopgap measure. Now, normally, that doesn't happen. This goes the opposite way. The House passes something and then the Senate debates it. But considering all of the foolishness in the House, Senate is looking to take the lead. Of course, they are concerned about the chances of the House moving forward a spending measure in time and is eyeing its own solution to this September 30th deadline. McCarthy has not commented, signing it as a hypothetical, but I'm not going to take up hypotheticals of some of someday dreaming the Senate's going to do something. When they do something, come back and ask me about the something. This, of course, you know, I don't think I can do a 24-hour podcast or a podcast that turns around in 24 hours that gives you a general idea of the fast-moving chaos that is the Republican House caucus. They have had two failed votes. Kevin McCarthy seems to have lost the plot. Matt Gates seems to be running the show. And at some point, there will be a resolution, but we are not close to it now. What we are close to is this Republican debate and my immediate reaction episode. And it'll be less drunk this time because I'm a little sick. So I will not be doing uh, uh, any drinking. So you will get my clear headed and sober opinions on this second Republican debate. And that is only available at takepoliticsseriously.com at the $3 level for the price of a cup of coffee. You get my unfettered opinions. Takepoliticsseriously.com. As I said at the top of this show, the second presidential debate taking place tonight, Wednesday, in the Reagan Library in California is not a debate. It is the line for a slaughterhouse. To qualify for this, candidates needed 3% support in two national polls or 3% support in one national poll, as well as two polls from four of the early voting states, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. And so your combatants on stage will be Ron DeSantis, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Christie, Doug Burgum, and Mike Pence. Now, the last debate that we had was on August 23rd, and I'm going to read to you some of the polling averages on that day. What was looked at as a possible shakeup moment. Ron DeSantis at 14.3, Vivek Ramaswamy, 7.2, Mike Pence averaging four points, Tim Scott at 3.1, Chris Christie at 3.1. These are national averages. And so we come to the eve of the second debate. Ron DeSantis is at 14.5, having gained a whopping 0.2%. Nikki Haley is at 5.6. Vivek Ramaswamy is at 5.1. He has lost ground despite being much talked about. Nikki Haley has gained ground. She is now 
third in a very depressing bronze medal stand. Mike Pence has gained 0.3, so good for him. Tim Scott has lost ground at 2.8. Chris Christie has lost ground at 2.8. Uh, uh, none of this movement matters at all whatsoever. This is noise. This is statistical farts. There's absolutely no momentum. And I could break down the strategy of what these candidates are going to say. And I will give you one Hail Mary pitch at the end of this segment. But honestly, folks, the bar is about to close. The waitresses are putting up chairs upside down on the tables. It's closing time. And the only question is exactly in what order these seven are going to exit the stage and ultimately exit this race. Throughout this entire process, I've talked about the events that could shake up the trajectory of the primary. And I'm here to say, I think we're out of them. We've seen four criminal indictments each made trump more popular we've seen one arraignment with a mugshot and it made trump more popular and by the way let me tell you a little story from vegas over the weekend i saw for the first time a man wearing a custom hoodie with trump's mugshot on it now i don't know where he was coming from or what he was doing this was at the circa a uh, new hotel in downtown Las Vegas, beautiful hotel, the best sports book I've ever seen in my entire life. And that's where me and my brother were gambling on college football. There was also a music festival. So maybe he came from there, but I know he had done a lot of partying because my friends at the upstairs bar of the circus sports book, this man was puking. It was an ugly sight. And shout out to the quiet professionalism of the circus staff. They were just waiting for him to kind of settle down a little bit before they could boot him. But they had made a perimeter around them. It was a pretty sad sight. And, you know, I think for many listening, they wished it was more of a, uh, a, 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 a an adept metaphor for Trump's candidacy. But unfortunately, it's been the exact opposite. As sad as our vomiting friend was at the end of the bar, Trump's fortunes have led for Trump's opponents to have the same green face. We have seen many press cycles for each of these challengers, and they've got no momentum. We've seen big fundraising numbers for some of them, and still nothing. And then we finally saw a Trumpless debate not but a month ago, and as we've seen, nothing has happened. In terms of the polling. It's politics. And anything can happen. And you guys know. As somebody. Who you listened. To have the 2020 primary. Ripped away from him. Thanks to COVID. I don't want to call this early. I don't want to make. Those first four contests. Or Super Tuesday. A perfunctory. Ex, you know exercise. But, folks, I think it might be over. And I think for the people that are going to be on stage tonight, it might be time to start acting like they're 30 points behind. 
you know, for the Denver Broncos last Sunday, that wasn't enough to bench Russell Wilson. But for these candidates, it's probably time to debut what I'm going to call a dual purpose strategy. It does not seem that it has been in any way politically expedient to criticize Trump. Nikki Haley came out and debuted some of her fiscal bona fides and said that the Republicans had also gotten us into this mess, but that hasn't really seemed to benefit her any either. So here's my Hail Mary pitch to him. Take it or leave it. One of them needs to go all in on the Biden impeachment. Is it being run by an absolute circus tent in the House? Yes. Is pushing for Joe Biden's impeachment unlikely to move the needle in the general? Yes. Is it wild red meat that could get you a gigantic standing ovation and do the best thing that you could to getting some kind of you know momentum or moment out of this television broadcast? I do believe it is. Is it the kind of thing that could get you pushback from the White House if you say something wild enough? Like maybe the Biden should face prosecution if you became president? Oh, oh hell yeah. Because the Bidens want to say, look at these wild Republicans. So, if I were looking at candidates that would be likely to debut such a strategy. I would look at three. Number one, Ron DeSantis. I have shared with all of you my befuddlement in how Ron DeSantis has run his campaign. But at the core of it, seems to be that what MAGA needs is a lawyer who can fight fire with fire strategy. That he actually reads the rule book and unlike other people, we're not going to name Trump, but he will make sure that the job is done in the way that he's made sure that he's actually followed through on promises in Florida. So. I mean, I don't know. I also kind of feel like I I just don't know what's happening with DeSantis. So at this point, I'm just throwing stuff out there. I think he's going to repeat the same seven talking points and talk about COVID. But if if there was any kind of, you know, a, a way for him to re-ingratiate himself with, you know, people outside of just the DeSantis truthers, because I think we found his floor. His floor is around 14 percent of the Republican Party when he's going in direct opposition with Trump. So if he can reconnect with some of the folks who are not diehard Trumpers, but they're not you're not asking them to choose between Trump and DeSantis. This could be a lane there could possibly get a little bit of a uh, polling traction, but again, there then again, who knows? Here's my second Nikki Haley. And here's why I would say Nikki Haley is you make the case. I was in the UN. I've known a lot of international conversation and you want to know what I know. I know what a clean diplomat looks like. And I know what a dirty diplomat looks like. I look at Bob Menendez and I see a dirty one. I look at Hunter Biden. 
and I see a dirty one. I look at Joe Biden. And the entire foreign policy apparatus has known something that they have refused to share with the public for decades. And I'm going to tell you dead center to camera right now. Joe Biden is dirty. And these are absolutely credible allegations that he used his son to make money on the same kind of stuff that Bob Menendez is being charged for. I think that's compelling. Shows she's strong. It uh, uh, gives her the kind of ball-busting element. It dares the White House to come after a female candidate. I think it would be a smart move for her, and I think it draws on some more fighter MAGA elements that right now she's short on. And finally, this would be the galaxy brain move. Chris Christie. Make a similar statement to what I just put into Nikki Haley's mouth, but it comes out of Chris Christie. MAGA once loved Christie for knocking out Rubio, and he did it by using plain spoken defenses. This is why politicians sound weird, because you hire consultants and you're not good at speaking. And so you just repeat this dumb stuff over and over and over again. Christie has been very critical of Joe Biden. He has been very critical about the Department of Justice. He mentioned that during the last debate to make it more of a central element of this debate would possibly even earn him a a attaboy from Trump. But at the very least, I don't think that's going to happen because they are mortal enemies and I don't think Christie wants it. But it does ingratiate him more with an audience that he does not have. Which is most of the audience. With all that being said, the only thing that really is going to matter about this is that when it ends, I do think you're going to see some headlines as to time to start nudging some of these candidates out of the race. And the order of that will primarily affect our failed candidate draft between me and Scrimshaw. Oh, also, I guess it will still have a thing. Reverberations throughout the rest of the American political spectrum as well. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. The Young American at gmail.com is where you can email us if you would like to uh, contact us on X. PX, three tweets for the show. Justin R. Young for me. Find me live on the Twitch platform, px3live.com and you can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you'd like to support us with a one-time donation, it is paypal.me slash payjury. Venmo is justin-young-20, and our cash app is px3cash. Send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box, 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com, including our immediate reaction to tonight's debate. Our $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Here we go. Ye old pinball shop. 
John, DP4 Bongo, Sam, John, Edwin, Kathy Mack, and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Brian, Edison, Jeremy, the dog named Checkers, Sarah Jeannie, Matthew, Dr. G, Neil, his nerdiness, Charles, Darren, Idris Arslani, and Berkeley, Stephen, Nomadic Terran, Molly's delightful demeanor, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Brad, Bassam, D-Laser, Nick, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, D-Really, Chopper, and Andrew. If you want your name read, the end of each and every one of our podcasts on the free schedule. Only one place to do it, and that is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's it. Uh, on our next episode, my book report on The Last Politician, the latest and by the metrics most popular book about Joe Biden, which I found to be a very interesting compliment sandwich. If you are familiar with that phrase, you know. Sometimes you you save a lot of criticism as long as you begin and end with a compliment. And holy crap, the compliments are sickeningly saccharine. But inside is some very, very interesting stuff, as well as some interesting omissions. But I'll get into that on Friday's episode, along with my breakdown of the best clips of the Republican debate. But till then, this is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.